the Monday Rewind. Morning sports fans and welcome to the Monday Rewind. I'm Raf Giallo, filling in for your regular host, Oshin Langan. You can get in touch at mondayrewind at newstalk.com or if you're on the Twitter, you can get me on at Raftastico. Plenty to look forward to on this podcast. We've got Kenny Cunningham on Arsenal's improved fortunes, plus interviews with Southampton, Stephen Davis and Swansea match winner John Joe Shelby. Oshin also has a Six Nations special with Marie Kinsella of the 42.ie. So it's a big weekend for sports so far. Uh, Rory McIlroy won the Dubai Desert Classic. Here he is telling us about the secrets of his success. I set myself a target and a number, so I'm, you know, it, it takes everyone else out of it. And I try to get to that number. And, and I know if I get to that, especially with a big lead, then you know it's very unlikely that anyone else is going to get to you know whatever number I set. So that's the lesson from Rory. If you're already winning, just keep on winning, which is what Charlie Sheen probably meant when he said uh, he's by winning. I'm by winning. I win here and I win there. Meanwhile, Andy Murray fell to a four-set defeat to Novak Djokovic in the Australian Open final. His disappointment that his fiancée's colourful language had no effect on the final shines true a little bit here. I was 25-1 to to win the event. And I won some good matches, some difficult matches, and also played some very good tennis. I think in the final, you know, there's things, obviously, I would have liked to have done a little bit differently and done a bit better, but it wasn't to be. Meanwhile, there's plenty going on in the GA as the Allianz National Football Leagues get underway. In Division 1, All-Ireland runners-up Donegal beat Derry and after the game, off the ball spoke to Jim McGuinness's successor Rory Gallagher. Rory, it was a big night for you. There was a bit of pressure coming to the game. Look, you want to start your new era with a, in style and you managed to do that. Ah, well, look, you know, on a personal level, uh, you know, we all, everybody wants to do well. I'm no different than one of the players. It's, you know, 40 or 42 or three people that's involved all would have felt that pressure. But, you know, as a group, we're delighted to win tonight. Second half performance, there must have been something said at half time because mm-hmm. Donegal looked leggy in the first half and yet fellas like Toy and Gallagher, if the game was another 20 minutes old, they'd still been going at the end. Ah, well, look, you know, I was slightly worried about our legs, you know, myself, you know, five, six minutes before half time. But we grouped at half time and, you know, we took a platform in the middle of the field, Dave, and, you know, we pushed on the second half and we looked as if we loaded of energy. Loaded energy then. Talk to me about what you're looking to achieve here in these first couple of games because I know you're following a man who's brought so much success to the county but at the same time you want to be putting your own stamp on things. Ah yeah listen you know a lot of the boys um, understand this style of play we've played the last couple of years and that you know I don't think there was much change to that there tonight you know I'm just looking to build on that and us improve smaller wee things and you know get a very competitive consistent level of performance week in week out. You move Michael Murphy in towards the edge of the square to very good effect in that second half might we see him in that position a little more in 2015? Ah look we We'll play Michael where we feel we get the best out of him. You know, it depends how other teams get set up. You know, we're, we're very lucky that he can play anywhere from midfield up. And you know, look, it's great when he's inside like that and doing damage. But you know, I thought in the first half when other players weren't working, he was working hard out, out the field. You know, keeping us in the game. And you're heading to Croke Park to take on the Dubs next weekend. If you were to leave with four points for the lads, head away for a little bit of a break, wouldn't be a bad couple of weeks' work. No, that'd be great. You know, listen, honestly, I haven't thought about the Dubs at this point in time. You do with this, this, the nature of this competition, it's week on week, and yeah, you don't have much time to worry about the opposition. We look at ourselves over the course of the next week. At the end of the day, it is it, you know it is the Alliance League. You know it's not the championship in the sense you have two three weeks to build on a team. We'll focus on ourselves over the next couple of days and then we look at Dublin towards the end of the week. Well, congratulations, well done tonight. Cheers. Also in Division One, Mayo got some revenge on Kerry for last year's All Ireland semi final defeat, and Radio Kerry caught up with Kerry manager Eamon Fitzmaurice and David Moran. Plus, they also got the view of Mayo's Aidan O'Shea. No, uh, Eamon, um, a defeat, but your overall thoughts on it. Yeah, we're disappointed to lose, uh, of course. Uh, Gary, you know, we were at home today and um, we were anxious to try and get off to a good start if we if we could, but um, Mayo are the better team overall and we can't complain. I suppose more fitter than you, naturally, would it be? They were a bit ahead of us fitness-wise, I think, in particular near the end of the game, you could see that, but um, they just played better, a bit more cohesively. You know, their goals especially were probably the difference in the end, but... Um, you know, you're, like I said, you're disappointed any day you, you lose, but we just have to get ready now and go again next weekend. I suppose the high ball didn't work, Eamon. They tried it for a long time. Maybe the ball in general going into the forward line wasn't up to standard. Yeah, that bit of chemistry wasn't there today, and I suppose that's to be, you know, to be expected considering we haven't a huge pile of football played yet. But uh, no, we didn't get the balance right between ball in and um, the runs being made inside. There was just that bit of lack of understanding today, but... Hopefully we'll improve on that now for next weekend. Good to see Tommy Welch back out, but as I'm limping there in the end, is it a worry? Um, he got a knock, he got a kind of a dead leg, so hopefully it's not too bad. But, um, you know, he did very well, to, in fairness, and while he was on, 
and uh, obviously it was disappointing that he had to go off, but hopefully it's nothing major. Have you any rough idea, uh, Eamon, I know it's very early in the year, but any rough idea of the role or the position that Tommy's going to employ for the year? Ah, no, look, I mean, we'll see, Gary, that'll be game by game, we'll see, we were only starting out, I mean, he played midfield today and he did well, and he went in full forward, but he was off before he, he had a chance to make an impact. So, look, he's versatile. He can play in a good few different positions. And find a long trip to Jerry next week. Yeah, a long trip up there. Um, there'll be nothing easy, you know, going up to Derry. They were beaten as well last night, so they'll be looking for points. So it um, won't be easy, but uh, at the same time, there's no easy games in Division 1, and we'll try and improve a bit again this week and go again next weekend, and it'll be great to get two points on the board for sure. Thanks, Evan. OK, guys. Uh, Aidan O'Shea joins me. Aidan, congratulations, a great staff for you. Yeah, not bad, yeah, obviously. Um, first round of the league, there's a lot of cobwebs on both sides, so obviously Kerry only back from holidays and we're only back to go last couple of weeks ourselves, so it's nice to come over the right side, I suppose. Two points early on is, is nice to get. Have you a fair bit of training done compared to last year? Uh, no, not really. I suppose um, you know, there's a massive panel there at the moment, and Pat and Noel are having a look at everybody, so um, you know, unfortunately, a few boys couldn't come down this weekend, and they'll probably get the chance for the next couple of weeks, but um, look, it's important to try and get a few points on the board early and kind of take the pressure off towards the end of the league, but uh, no, we're happy to Two points. Yeah, got the goals at the right time, really, didn't you? Particularly the second one that put the, the game to bid. Yeah, I suppose Kerry are probably going to get a proper patch at some stage. And um, in fairness, uh, they come back to us. I think it was back to four points at one stage. And um, Kevin McLaughlin, I think, put away the goal excellently. Like it was, um, didn't leave Keely with a chance. So um, no, it was perfectly timed. A role in the league important for you, so I presume, is it? Ah, look, it's important um, to put performances together because look, you're playing the top teams in the country. It's, it bodes well for the championship, as the last couple of league campaigns uh, have proved for us. So um, you know, we'll, we'll, if we get a good few games under our belts and get boys exposed to the kind of level it's always good so um, you know whether we win it or not or we get to the playoffs or not uh, probably irrelevant at the end of the day but it's nice to get, nice to get a good run And is there a lot of new faces in the panel this year Aidan with new management? Uh, there is yeah we're, we're, we have a high, high number in the panel at the minute but um, as I said they get their chance over the next couple of weeks um, you've seen young Paddy Durkin come in there today poor Evan Regan unfortunately got, got an injury tonight today but he started well as well so Stevie Cohen as well so we've uh, some new ones coming in as well which is great Listen you're off to a great start well done Cheers thanks very much now, uh, David Morden joins me here. Uh, David, uh, your thoughts on that display? Yeah, look, obviously it's very disappointing. Uh, we set up our stall today to come up and to, to come here at home venue in front of uh, the Kerry Public and get two points, and look, it didn't work out, so obviously we're very disappointed. Won't be unduly worried, though, I suppose. It was a poor league last year, and we all saw what happened at the end of the year. Yeah, but I think if you look back through the history of the last six or seven years, teams that did well in the league went on did well in the championship. I mean, I wouldn't like to be to banking on our form last year in the league to, 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 to come up with the form we had in the championship. Look, I suppose we were set up our stall to win every game in the league, and it, it didn't work out today, so hopefully next weekend will be different. I suppose you never really opened him up for a goal, David, and maybe maybe poor running inside at times and poor ball going in was one of the big problems. Yeah, look, I'd say it was a combination of everything. I wouldn't be blaming any guy individual or any single line. It just didn't happen for us today. Um, and, you know, I suppose, look, the better team won. It's hard for that to take. Great to see your club man back. He caught a few vital ones there in the middle of the field, Tommy Welsh. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see him back. You know, I, uh, I think he went after you, and hopefully it's, not, it's nothing serious. But, uh, yeah, no, it's great to have him back. Um, so, But, look, at the end of the day, it's hard to see the, the positives in the sense we just have to, to build for next weekend, and hopefully we can get the win against Derry. Listen, you're in great shape yourself. We give you our men of the match, and from a career perspective. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, look, at the end of the day, is, you know, we came out and we lost, so it's, it's, it's hard to, it doesn't really matter who played well or who, who didn't play well. It's just about trying to get two points. We didn't get it today and hopefully we get it next weekend. And I suppose finally, David, it'll take time for the younger lads to, to, to look to gel in and to get to know the system and whatever. I mean, you would have found that yourself when you came into the to the setup at the start. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's, it's, it's not easy when you're playing a, a team who are contenders in Ireland. Um, and I know they, like they must have done a pile of work. Uh, I'm sure they were very disappointed after last year, you know. So look, maybe we're in different stages of preparation. But look, at the end of the day, we bought it. There was two points on uh, on offer, and they got it. So hopefully, we can try and get our first two points this weekend. Thanks, David. No matter. In Division Two, Westmead beat Leash by five points. Here's Westmead manager Paul Cribben, followed by Leash manager Tomas O'Flaherty. We were a bit lucky. Leash got back into it well, and we're playing very well at the time. We were struggling in the middle, and. Um, we didn't have a terrible lot of options because Dara's only back a week and a half from injury and we were a bit nervous, but we'd no choice really but to go with it, you know, take a chance on him. And uh, we just knew if we could get a score to settle us and compose us that uh, we had a good fitness level built up, you know. Jerry uh, can play the captain's part there very much in the second half, carrying the ball forward. Yeah, there's an awful lot of leaders out there. Uh, Jerry was brilliant. Paul Sherry uh, leads. Kieran uh, Martin, just unbelievable up the centre there, and uh, young Killian Daly, like for first match, you know, just at this level, 
It's uh, and like he hasn't really played in the Auburn Cup with us because he was uh, with the under 21s for me doing his work and uh, just straight in today because we had a lot of lads sick and that and um, he done absolutely brilliant. You had to soak up an awful lot of pressure at periods in that game. I suppose none more so than the first 20 minutes of the second half. Yeah, uh, Leash were really on top in the middle at that stage and. Um, you know, were, we were probably lucky to be still with them, and uh, we just got going to go back to a draw match. I think then Gerard got a point and settled it, and you know maybe some of our first time touch up front because Ray has been playing brilliant. His first time touch wasn't quite as good today, but his free take and was super, you know. And that goal just before half time came at a crucial time. Yeah, well, sure, that's Jimmy's trademark by now. He just has this habit of uh, turning up in the right position. You'd say it's luck only for the same player and the same man keeps doing it. You know, very, very often he does it. He'll create those chances and uh, he's well able to take them down when he gets it. Looking at the division as a whole, a crucial win, crucial to get off to an opening day win. Yeah, look, this division is going to be really tight, down to the wire at the very end. And um, it's fierce important to win your home games if you're going to stay in Division 2. And uh, I'd say the last match of the season, you could have six teams that could get promotion or could get relegation. You know, I think that's how tight it's going to be. And um, so you'll be hoping that all the players who viruses and various other injuries will be right for next week. Yeah, well, it'd be nice to have a few more choices anyway, because um, we had a lot of young lads there and inexperienced lads on the line. And um, if we had a few more of the experienced lads, because it's just, you know, at the end of the day, when it matches tight like that, that's when you need them really. Just nearly half time, and it was, uh, the scores were level, but they got a goal right before half time. And, uh, you know, three points ahead at half time, we were still in the game and we did come back into it. But uh, I suppose really what caught us coming towards the end was, uh, you know, we got a few cards towards the end, and we lost a few players because of it. Um, and, you know, they, they, they kind of dominated us in the last few minutes. You see, we got there, you got level, you looked kind of in a good, good position then. We were, yeah. I thought, you know, we had uh, our, our backs were doing very well and our midfielders were doing well. Um, you know, we were getting a lot of possession in the middle of the field. I think overall we won the, we won the midfield battle. Uh, but it, I suppose it was our finishing, really, and uh, probably had a bit too many turnovers as well. And we let them up the field with a the, with the few chances towards the end and we were kind of exposed down the, out of the back line at the end and, uh, you know, they got through. First 20 minutes of the second half, you were very much on top. I think you outscored them five or six points to one. That the game was there for the taking of that stage. It was, yeah, yeah. I, I thought you know the lads worked very hard after half time to get back into it. You know, we picked it point by point. You know, um, but then you know a few things happened. I suppose you know with the cards. Um, you know, they started winning ball in the middle of the field. Um, probably didn't give enough uh, cover to the, the defence when the, when that was happening. And uh, I suppose you know you could nearly sum it up that you know with a few turnovers and not giving them enough protection at the at the back towards the end of it, you know that they got on top again. And that goal before half time was a killer blow as well, in a way. I suppose you know, what we needed to do at that stage was uh, just to don't concede any score and uh, I, I think we got uh, everybody back but we covered one side of the field and let the other side of it wide open and a few of them got in on that side and they finished it. Okay, just, just looking ahead tomorrow, the games aren't going to get any easier or any less important either. Well, you know, the games are always going to be difficult and that's always the challenge, you know, it's good to have uh, challenges like that ahead and... Uh, uh, we have Cavan next Saturday we, uh, next Saturday evening and uh, we can't cry for too long about this now, we just have to get on with it. In terms of so some of the players there, some of the younger players you brought on who will build, I suppose, gain an experience as they go through the league? Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, taking a few positives out of it, I thought uh, the, the defence did well today, that they marked well. I thought uh, Gerard Hanrahan, who was uh, playing his first game today, I thought... Uh, he played, he played exceptionally well, I thought. Our midfielders uh, played very well as well. Um, and uh, We just need to brush up on their finishing. And the two red cards were two of the key moments? Uh, well, I think one of them was uh, a yellow and a oh, black, sorry, I think. Yellow, yeah, 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 they, they, off as it was. they were, yeah, they were key moments. You know, we lost Patrick McMahon through one of them, and then Brendan Quigley, who had been playing very well up until then, we lost him as well, and uh, we'll probably be missing him next weekend as well. So, you know, that's that's disappointing. There's no, as you say, there's no time to cry. You have to pick them back up and back in action six days from now. Yeah, we have six days. We have Cavan at home, and uh, you know, we just have to hopefully have a few other lads back as well for that. And, um, you know, we just take it from there. OK, it's time for Fintan Tula, the 42.ie, who's joining me to talk about the first weekend of the league. First off, I asked him about Cork's win over Dublin and how the Rebels are developing. 
Well, I think yesterday was a really important game for them to win, probably more so than it was for Dublin uh, because of the fixture list. Uh, they have a lot of very difficult trips to Ulster in the coming weeks and I think they would have targeted their first game uh, to keep at home as a chance to pick up some points. You know, survival and staying in the division I think is their, their kind of big goal uh, this year, you know, there's been such kind of change and overhaul in their team over the last couple of years. Um, so I think that they'll be encouraged by some of the signs, particularly the way some of the young players kind of bedded in. Uh, we saw Ian Maguire was really good in midfield. Connor Dorman was probably the man of the match with his display from the half-back line. Um, you know, both those pairs were under 21 last year and Maguire is still under 21 this year. And when we take a cork all the retirements over the last couple of years, there's a lot of kind of vacancies in that team and there's kind of, I suppose, an opportunity for kind of new leaders to emerge. So that was probably very encouraging for them. And also, I think the fact that they won, you know, a close, hard-fought game and, and they kind of got off to a good start and that, that'll kind of help their confidence. But you have to factor into it the amount of players that Dublin were missing. And that you'd imagine if the counties uh, meet come the summer, it's going to be a far different Dublin team. And uh, looking at the Dublin team, for example, a lot of newcomers, as you mentioned, John Small being one of them, um, how have they integrated into the team? And do you see them... I suppose, having a role maybe even into the summer? Yeah, well, well I suppose like Hull County, Dublin used a lot of players in the O'Byrne Cup um, and then it was noticeable that some, only some of them were kind of maybe retained for the opening uh, league game for the panel. But definitely Small was one that really caught the eye during the, the O'Byrne Cup his performances. Uh, there's kind of a bit of a, I suppose, a gap there at the moment with Ger Brennan tied up with club commitments and uh, Keno Sullivan uh, currently out injured. You know, and he, he is a very good player, small. He's kind of done well at underage level. One colleague and a cornerback was another that kind of impressed in defence. And then Shane Carty, I suppose, who was kind of uh, unavailable uh, last year um, for periods. You know, he, he he had done very, very well in midfield. So I think they're the, probably the three that uh, Jim Gavin can be hoping they can kind of step up a bit next year. But having said that, there's so many kind of big names in the Dublin setup that were missing. You know, Paul Flynn, uh, Keanu Sullivan, as I mentioned, out injured. Uh, like said, Jim McConnelly and Joe Brennan tied up with club commitments. You know, Bernard and uh, Brogan, possibly Alan Brogan as well. So you'd imagine that in the coming months, the Dublin team will be much, uh, much changed from what it was yesterday. So if there will be personnel changes, obviously, but um, have you noted any kind of systematic changes? Uh, obviously, the defeat to Donegal was kind of seen as a moment where they might need to change things a little bit. But during the O'Byrne Cup and I suppose yesterday as well, has there been any even small tweaks that that are kind of noticeable? I don't think there's been any kind of major shift yet. Um, that's not to say that there won't be kind of as the year goes on. I mean, it's still very, very early in the year. Um you know, I mean, the, obviously the Donegal game, particularly the second half and the way that I suppose Donegal were able to kind of exploit the gaps and get goals was kind of the big thing. Uh, the most striking feature of that defeat last August. Um, I don't think Jim Gavin's really kind of shown his hand in that regard yet, but probably the, the, the centre-back position is going to be the interesting one as the year goes on. I mean, Joe Brennan's uh, absence was kind of keenly felt in that Donegal game in such kind of key part of their win the previous year, particularly in kind of holding the defence together in that final uh, win over Mayo in 2013. So the emergence of Small, he, he could be an option, but I think it's going to take another, another couple of months and kind of more game time before we can kind of see whether Gavin is kind of shifting things around kind of with with a nod back to that big goal defeat and kind of having learned the lessons from that loss. And uh, obviously the other game yesterday saw Mayo make a strong start against Kerry and it also featured Tommy Walsh playing as well. Um What's the what's his role in the team at the moment, and like, is there is there even a way of seeing what Eamon Fitzmaurice envisages in, envisages what uh, role he'll play as uh, as the year goes on? Uh, again, I think it's, it's it's kind of very early to tell simply because yesterday was the first time that we saw him in action. I mean, he only the previous Saturday was his very first competitive game of Gaelic football since he returned. He played again for his club, Cairns or Rallies, and as he admitted himself last week, he was uh, he was rusty, you know. It's, he said, you know, physically and, and fitness-wise, he's fine, he's in good shape, but it's kind of ball-handling skills and kind of his sharpness and his eye for the ball, you know, that all kind of needs to improve and that's something that is going to take time. Uh, his positioning is going to be interesting. I suppose he made his name um, initially as a minor at midfield then at senior level in the full forward line, but kind of given the way he's played uh, in Aussie rules um, and I suppose kind of the, the type of game he's been exposed to, you could see him kind of fit into possibly maybe even a half-back role or a midfield role uh, as this year goes on but you know there's a huge competition there in that Kerry team and he's trying to break into an All-Ireland winning team and came on a half-time yesterday he made a couple of really good eye-catching uh, catches from kickouts early on and uh, then picked up an injury as the game went on but you know I suppose it was, it was a very inexperienced Kerry team around him they had a lot of changes from the team that would have won the All-Ireland so 
early days yet and probably difficult to kind of properly judge him. But I, I think he will definitely be an asset uh, as as the year goes on. But I think what his club manager Barry O'Shea said last week is true. You know, I think people will need to be patient with him and Kerry fans will, will need to kind of give him time because it, it is going to take uh, kind of a couple of months of adjustment to kind of get back up to the, the pitch and the pace of Gaelic football. And how impressive were Mayo, especially at their coming under a new management team as well? Yeah, they were very impressive. Um, probably similar to Cork in the sense that they, I think they needed the points maybe more than Kerry yesterday um, with the new management, with the All-Ireland semi-final loss to Kerry last year in their minds and the fact that they were coming down to Clarny. You know, I think Mayo are a team that could really do with the confidence boost of a national title in the in the form of a league, and I think it's something they probably should be should be targeting. So I think they'll be they'll be very happy. Uh, you know, the two goals came at really important times. I mean, they kind of started slowly enough Mayo, but kind of then once they got to grips with Kerry, you know, Alan Freeman's goal, and then a really good goal from Kevin McLaughlin. So I think they'll be happy. Stephen Cohen from the 2013 minor winning team, I thought he showed up very well at cornerback. Um, but you know, I mean, like. Pat Holmes alluded to it afterwards when he said, you know, we probably caught Kerry at the right time. They're not long back from their team holiday to South Africa. It's one of a huge amount of training under their belt. And they had a lot of players missing from the roller winning side. So it was a good opportunity, Mayo for Mayo, to play them and try and pick up some league points early in the season. And uh, obviously Saturday was kind of locked out by Ulster, really. And it just goes to show the strength that half the teams in Division 1 are from the same province. But... Kind of looking overall, I mean, we had Tony McEntee on and off the ball on Friday and he kind of said that certain counties outside of the big three should really concentrate on, you know, the league more so than the championship. Where do you, where would Monaghan, for example, fall into that category? Uh, I, I think the big thing for Monaghan this year would be if they survived in Division 1, um, given the competitive nature of it. And that was a really, really good start for them against their own. But the, the, the point they're right about the kind of teams outside, maybe the, the big three of... Um, you know, last uh, three All Ireland winners, Dublin carries any goal. I, I think that's very, very important. I mean, you know, we saw maybe a few years back, you know, Cork, the conference, they got some winning league titles and enabled them to eventually get over the line in 2010. Um, you know, for a county like Mayo, maybe to a lesser extent, Monaghan, you know, a good longer, long league, league run and trying to target the silverware, you know, I, I think it probably should be high up on their list of priorities. Um, and for both of them, it was a very, very good start, particularly away from home. Uh, you know, Tyrone are a very, very good early season team, as evidenced by the fact that they won the McKenna Cup again this year. So, you know, Monaghan probably would have been kind of bracing themselves for a tough challenge, but either side of the lights going out, uh, first spell during the game, they were very, very impressive and reeled off a good few points. And I think they'll be very, very happy with how the, that start went ahead of the home game against Cork next Sunday. And finally, Division Two, they it also kind of got underway. Um, who, like at the end of it, I suppose, if you're predicting it, who do you think will actually come out of that division? Um, it's 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 a difficult one to tell, but I, I'd be very interested to see how Galway are going to do under Kevin Walsh. Definitely, over the last couple of years, there's been there was strange improvement under Animal Holland with the way they started closing the gap between themselves and Mayo um, last summer compared to I suppose the way it was in, in May 2013. And you know, they, they they had a good qualifier run, got to an All Ireland final. A lot of very, very good young players. Uh, Shane Watson, Danny, Cum- Danny Cummins showed up very well last uh, yesterday in both grabbing goals in Pierce Stadium. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to do. Um, but, I mean, I, again, it is it is a very competitive division and you know, teams don't want to slip down to Division division 3. And in that sense, you look at a Kildare yesterday, you know, in control of their game against down up by uh, three points and then they ended up losing by four. Um, you know, you want to relax kind of, kind of a costly defeat uh, as... The season progresses and, you know, Meads as well lost yesterday. So I think their game next Saturday, Meads, Kildare, you know, takes on added importance now. But kind of still early days um, in, in kind of that division as the guys picking out a winner. So that was an interesting weekend to kick off the league. Now to the Premier League. Dave McIntyre and Kenny Cunningham were at the Emirates for off the ball as Arsenal trashed a hopeless Aston Villa 5-0. Here's Kenny's take on the game. Kenny, we've just seen Arsenal hammer Villa 5-0 at the Emirates Stadium. Villa still haven't managed to score and Arsenal have won eight in a row at the Emirates in all competition but do you get a sense that 5-0 flatter them a little bit? Uh, I thought it did uh, slightly I think um, Aston Villa had a good chunk of possession of the football I think that's what Lambert uh, would have wanted he would have wanted to see his team defend on the edge of the box for the vast majority of this game and that wasn't the case I think after a slow opening 10-15 minutes I think his team slowly grew into the into the game retained possession of the football very well probably didn't create enough chances uh, like he would have wanted but still we're very much in the game and in fact the opening 10 minutes of the second half you were really encouraged if you were an Aston supporter in this stadium watching that game you would have been starting to dream a little bit hold on we can get back into this game because they started well with a good tempo on the front foot 
and spending a lot of time with the Arsenal half of the pitch but such is the quality of Arsenal I think they know that they just had to wait for those uh, chances to counter-attack Aston Villa that's exactly what they did and they had real quality as we all know high up the pitch when those opportunities presented themselves so there'll be a little bit of frustration in the Aston Villa uh, dressing room that you know they had enough possession of the football today to have made the scoreline a little bit closer than it was but that's what happens against the top quality teams you know they're very clinical when the opportunities present themselves and Arsenal were today they brought a game plan to the Etihad Stadium two weeks ago to try and stifle Man City, to keep them compact, tight, stop them getting wide. They got the goals that saw them win the game. How much of what you saw that day did you see in today's performance, if anything at all, given the opposition were obviously not maybe in the same league? Yeah, I think you're seeing a bit of a consistency now in the Arsenal team, that kind of balance that we've spoken about, which hasn't already always been there in terms of real defensive solidity, being too open, you know, getting bullied, particularly in that central area of the pitch, not having enough physicality in there. I don't think you could quite level that accusation at this present Arsenal team, not with the likes of uh, Coughlin in particular in that central area of the pitch. They have a bit more of a physical presence in there. They've got somebody who's mobile, can get around the pitch, can make tackles, can see danger, can screen. Uh, his defensive partners behind them so the shape of the team uh, looks a, a lot better uh, the partnership of him Ramsey and, and Cazorla that midfield three in that central area the pitch looks good has a bit of everything you know, a bit of tenacity to it now good ball playing ability and obviously goals with the likes of Cazorla and particularly Ramsey so that all goes well I think the defensive uh, defensive line looks more solid uh, because of it and of course high up the pitch the big challenge for Arsene Wenger is going to be to pick the right combination of players uh, going forward but he has some great op- options I mean when I look at this Arsenal team they're renowned for being a passing team but when you have players that are physicality the presence of Giroud and Welbeck and Sanchez high up the pitch you know you shouldn't be embarrassed from getting the ball from back to front uh, as quick as you can and I think Arsenal can do that now they can play their one touch football when uh, patient uh, progressive football but they can also go back to front and down the channels if they want and that's something which I think actually gives them the advantage over a number of their nearest uh, rivals I don't think a number, a number of the other teams actually have that, the ability to get into wide areas, put balls into the box with the likes of Giroud and Welbeck. We've seen Sanchez this season attacking crosses, getting, their, uh, getting, the, getting on the end of things. So, I mean, that's, that's real optimism uh, for Arsenal supporters between now and the end of the season. They just have to maintain that consistency. And it won't be easy, some big games coming up, Champions League. Uh, the games will be coming thick and fast but they're in good shape at this moment in time to be able to cope with it So things get a lot more difficult certainly from a defensive point of view because they have to go to White Hart Lane next weekend Harry Kane and Christian Eriksen are arguably two of the in-form attacking players in the Premier League at the moment so do you think they will do something at White Hart Lane similar to what we saw at the Etihad where that ties are perfectly happy to it will be happy to allow Tottenham have the ball won't press them that high up the field we'll just make sure they drop back get everybody in a defensive position and then look to play it from there will we see that in a week's time? Well, I think they should I'm sure Arsenal supporters hope they will because that's what you have to do you, know, you can't be arrogant enough to suggest that oh, we'll just go out and play our football and that will be enough well it's not against top level opposition you have to adjust yourself tactically from game to game that's exactly what they did at uh, the had a couple of weeks ago and they got the reward and they might have to do it on occasion against Tottenham because again you don't want to commit too many players in the forward areas and open up too much space particularly the likes of Harry Kane he's, been, he's absolutely lethal at this moment in time not in terms of his goal scoring in particular I'm talking about in terms of his ability to find space get torn get out opposition teams travel with the ball find a killer pass so they have to deny him that kind of space so at times yeah I think they should they, they should switch on get into that good solid defensive shape that we saw at the Etihad and play counter-attacking football the Arsenal shouldn't be embarrassed by that because you know, they have the players to do that and that's been re- that's been astute that's been clever in terms of you know horses for courses and knowing how you can get the better of any opposition at any given time so although in, in a, in a Arsenal Wenger I'm sure in an ideal world would like to be dominating the uh, possession of the football and spending the most of the time with the Tottenham half the pitch but you have to respect the opposition the qualities they have and fine tune your team uh, because of that so at times I would like to see him uh, defend deep get good cover around Mertzak in particular because I think he needs it and I think has, that has been better and knowing you know, and being confident of knowing that if they can sit and keep their concentration that they have the players to break quickly at Tottenham and hurt them so yeah it'll be fascinating to see if they do kind of integrate both of those aspects into their game and finally Kenny looking at the big picture I mean there's so much to fascinate us going forward in the last three months of the season looking at the Premier League table there's six points separating the bottom eight you would hope that City can keep pace with Chelsea in terms of where the title's going to end up but the Champions League places it's really five teams looking for two spots and you're looking at Liverpool now in seventh on 38 points and Manchester United in third on 43 points five points separating those five teams you've seen Arsenal today who do you think will get those two spots? Oh, 
Well, I'm betting it's not going to be the two teams in there at this moment in time, Manchester United and uh, Southampton. I think it'd be, I don't think I'd even have a bet that one of those teams would be in those last two places. I think Arsenal are in a great position to put a real charge on second half of the season. Traditionally, they do. And I think for the reasons that I've said, they're in great shape to do so. So I think Arsenal will nick one of those spaces. The last one... Who knows? I expect Liverpool to get better. I, I expect Tottenham to maintain that kind of level of consistency, which they have done. I think Manchester United need to find a little bit more. They look the most vulnerable to you, do they? Uh, I, th- I, I think so. I think so. Look, they're sitting kind of uh, toward the table at this moment in time, but I don't think they've been they've been wholly convinced. And I don't think the balance in that team is particularly right. He's been chopping and changing in terms of the shape, the formation, the three-five-two. I'm still not convinced. Went back to a flat four yesterday. Uh, Van Gaal, I think it suits them better. So he's still chopping and changing. I don't think that there's the kind of confidence uh, in that Manchester United team that we see in this Arsenal team. Like they're comfortable in each other's skin. Like uh, with the players on the pitch and the system that we're playing. I think uh, I, I see. The in Tottenham at this moment in time I see it in Liverpool at, the, uh, at this moment I don't quite see it with Manchester United so I think they're the ones for me who are, who are, um, who are slightly in danger Southampton as well of course is going to be a big big ch- uh, challenge for them the surprise would be if they can maintain that, that position as well but Manchester United for, one, for me are the ones that are in real danger from uh, improving Arsenal and um, particularly Liverpool going into the second half of the season Good stuff Kenny thanks a million No problem Nathan Murphy was at St Mary's yesterday as Southampton suffered a defeat at home to Swansea. He chatted to Southampton's Northern Irish midfielder Stephen Davis afterwards, uh, followed by Swansea's match winner John Joe Shelby, who scored a cracking goal. It was such a, an impressive first half performance. You were you were well on top at that stage and you were creating a few opportunities. When, when you're on the pitch, do you get the sense with an hour gone and you haven't taken your chances that this could go against us? Yeah, of course. I mean, you just keep trying to plug away and doing doing the right things that we did throughout the match and um, you hope a chance will come. But obviously, you know, throughout the course of 90 minutes, there's going to be some space for them as well. And, um, to be fair, I thought overall we, we defended well as well, but obviously it was a great strike to, to, to win the game and uh, we just couldn't seem to um, take our chances today. Manchester United, Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool had all won ahead of year game. Now that you're contending for top four, are you feeling that sort of pressure when you're hearing about those results ahead of the match? No, I don't think we're feeling, feeling any pressure. Um, we're in a great position and we're enjoying being there. And um, I think you've seen by the way we played today, we, we, we were um, obviously enjoying our football, but just couldn't get that goal to, to get us in the lead, as I said, and we were on top and, and it came back, came back to bite us. But it's important we regroup again and, and go again and um, try and put together a good run of results because if we're going to try and stay in those positions, then... Um, the remaining 15 games are going to be massive for us. We saw at Arsenal today, Alexis Sanchez missed through injury. They bring in a player they played £42 million for in Mesut Ozil. Is that, I guess, showing the difficulty that Southampton faced, that when you're missing players like Schneidlin and Yama, you're having to rely on, on 20-year-olds, very good 20-year-olds, but still very inexperienced players? Well, to be fair to the young lads that have come in this season, they've all done excellent and gave the manager really something to think about and a, a headache, and that's been one of the positives of the season for us. But... Um, of course, on, on, on the same breath, you're always going to miss players um, like we have, but hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll get everybody back fit again and um, it's going to be real competition for places. It's Queen's Park Rangers next weekend. You mentioned there about getting back very quickly. I guess if you're to finish in the top four, that is the key. That's what very good teams do. They bounce back quickly. Yeah, of course, it's massively important, but um, as we know in this division, there's no easy games and, again, QPR fighting for their lives, so it's going to be another tough game, but um, one if we can go in and, and put the same sort of performance in and just get a little bit of luck in front of goal then hopefully we can uh, pick up some points Has it taken you were here last season and you were here through all the changes and all that has, has it taken you even by surprise how well this season has gone by and large Yeah I think it has to be fair I think once we got everybody together and we, we got the group together and started training together we knew there was quality within the team but you, you never really know what way the league's going to go in the Premier League but I think we've shown throughout, throughout the course of this season to this point that we're um, a consistent side and we can um, compete against the best sides in the league so long may that continue How does Ronald take defeats like this? Yeah, I mean everybody's bitterly disappointed in dressing room there's no, no hiding from that but um, we obviously tried to do things the right way and um, it wasn't as if we're coming away with a manner of defeat being poor it was just um, we didn't take our chances so there's positives to take but also look, look at where um, what we've gone wrong and things we can improve on and, and tidy it up for next week Thanks last season Cheers, Cheers Thanks John Joe, congratulations. It was a wonderful goal to win it and a, a real backs-to-the-wall job for Swansea. Yeah, at first I thought we was, we was under the cush a little bit in the first half, but it was important for us to come out 
and uh, the gaffer said at half time that we'll get a lot more of the ball in the second half to, to impose our style of play on them and I feel that that worked yeah, How difficult was it to impose in midfield in particular when you're missing Gilfie and you're missing Ki Sung Young who along with yourself I guess are so key to retaining the ball in, in Swansea's usual yeah, pattern of play I mean obviously Key and Gilfie are, are big big players I mean we had a very young midfield in, in there I mean I'm I'm 22 and I was the oldest midfielder in there today but I thought Tom and Tom and Jay were superb as the game wore on they, they proper fought and I thought they was outstanding and, and I think the, the results it's obviously paid off and, and, and gave gave everyone good headlines Yeah you were essentially the senior member of that midfield tree was that something that Gary spoke to you about beforehand that yeah, you need to be in these guys' he ears? to me just to keep talking to them and be a leader and I felt like I did that and Monks has said that from from day one. He wants me to be more of a leader. So obviously it's, it's, it's days like today where you you grow up and, and and learn how to be a leader. Can it be difficult at half time when you are under the cosh so much in the first half and they're dominating possession yeah, and Gary saying stick with it, stick with at it. Half time was a bit obviously there's a few not not rows but a few discussions in the change rooms about obviously what what we want to do on the ball and I mean I. I was moaning a little bit because we we hadn't got the ball down and played, but obviously I was wrong to do that because what we what the way Monks wanted us to set out was was to to play on Sabathi for the first half for the first 20 minutes and and then feel our way into the game. And I felt as the game wore on, they become more tired and more frustrated, and the fans got on their back, and it obviously gave us the space and time to play. Do you really sense that when you're on the pitch, when the game is ongoing, that their supporters are starting to get yeah, on their back? You can, you can tell because they long ball after long ball up into to Pele's feet and. And uh, I mean, he's a good. He's a, he's some some player to keep holding the ball up, and but it was bouncing off of him, and and not the, their players weren't reading the second balls in the second half, and I think we took full advantage of it. You'd given them a warning shot by hitting the post for the goal. Was it always in your head you're going to take the opportunity on? Um, not not when I first got the ball. I was going to play Buffy in, but then uh, he ran he ran inside and opened up a bit of space enough to turn the geezer. And I thought, just why not? It, 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 I mean, they've been telling me to shoot a lot more, so I'm glad it went in. He hasn't had the goal return yet, certainly not of Wilfred Boney, Bafatimbi, but watching him, he does seem to create a huge amount of space. Is that just something that's going to take time for guys like you to learn how to exploit? Yeah, I think so. I think he's a... I mean, ever since he first come up, I thought he was he was decent. He's um, Obviously, he's been very unlucky with the game time he's had. I mean, Boney's a top, top player, and he's gone on to bigger, obviously bigger and better things. But you can't fault Boney for that. But um, now Buffy's going to get tight some, some game time. I think he'll show everyone what he's about. We were talking before the game how you're 11 points clear at the start of the day of the relegation zone. It was unlikely you were to be dragged in, but it's it's still a dangerous position when there's so much of the season still to go and maybe not a huge amount to play for. What is Gary's message to you for these closing months of the season? Gary Monks is one of these people that won't let you sit on, sit, put your foot on the gas. You're he wants you to keep keep your foot keep going, and he pushes us every day in training and reminds us what what we can get we can achieve this season. And, and we just got to listen to him, and I'm sure it'll it'll pay off. Yeah, because there's been quite a bit of doom and gloom, quite sudden doom and gloom around the club. The bad runner results, and with Wilfried leaving as well, has has that been the case amongst the players that you're kind of a bit worried about what's happening? No, obviously I don't think you think we don't. Look, I mean, I don't look at the table between us. We are obviously we know we know what position we're in. It's just about staying calm. Cool. We've got a, we've got a cool bunch of lads and they've got cool heads, so um, I'm sure we'll be fine. Well done today, Thank John. John. Thanks a lot. Finally, we're into the final stretch before Ireland's Six Nations opener against Italy in Rome. Oshin spoke to former Leinster out half Ian McKinley, who is now living and playing in Italy, and Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie on our Six Nations rivals. What an opportunity lost by Italy. Sergio Parisi down and stays down. Ronan O'Gara has done it again for Ireland. He has saved them. And Ireland have won in Rome. Oh, that could be the game all over. Penalty to the Italians inside the 22. 15 seconds remain. It looks certain. 
to know that Italy have claimed a second home win in the Six Nations and they've beaten Ireland for the first time in this competition. They seem to be getting better and better, they're playing more and more rugby and it's in Rome and it's the first game. You know, I wouldn't say they're worried about it but they know that if we're not solely focused on that and nothing else it'll be a very very tough day for us we are the, the kind of team that at home they are difficult to play they know that they had two years ago a, a bad a bad, uh, bad result for them so for them it's going to be important to you know start well against us and they know it's going to be difficult yeah well, I'm expecting Sergio Parise to be extraordinary good player that he that he always is and, and Sergio didn't play against us last year nor did Alessandro Zani nor did uh, Castro Giovanni after about seven or eight minutes when he came off very early in the game. They're an entirely different team playing at home in the first game up with the gap between the November series. You're never quite as coordinated as you'd like to be and I think probably um, you know, against Scotland last year we really struggled in that first game and part of that was because Scotland were good and part of it was because you know, we weren't as uh, didn't have as much continuity as we would have liked. At my signal, unleash hell. Well, it's been tough on the last few visits to Rome, but how will it be this time around? In there, you heard from Paul O'Connell, Sergio Parise and Joe Schmidt. Former Leinster out-half Ian McKinley is now playing and coaching in Italy, so he's probably the best-placed Irishman to tell us how the Azuri are ahead of this week's game. Now, you may have heard of McKinley, who had to give up the game after losing sight in one eye. However, he's now back playing after discovering goggles that have allowed him to return to the pitch with Viadana. We'll talk about the men Schmidt name-checked in his preview, namely Kelly Haimona and Sergio Parise, in just a few moments. But first, we talked about Italy's confidence levels, having lost all but one of their games between the summer and November series. Yeah, well, I mean, any, any team that goes into a Six Nations, you need some sort of... Uh... You need some sort of form going into any tournament, and whether uh, that, that's from uh, the, the November series, I, I watched those games very closely. Um, the Samoa one, they played extremely well. Argentina, they definitely should have won, and they gave South Africa a good going for, for 60 minutes, which should give them confidence that, that at least for 60, 65 minutes, they can mix it with with some of the best teams in the world. Obviously, with, with uh, Zebre and Treviso being at the bottom of the, the Pro 12 is not is not good, uh, much of a confidence boost, but I think they, they'll really take the form that they showed in the last uh, three games. I think that they'll, they'll use that as much as they can and, and really try and put in a, a positive start because the first two games that they have are are difficult fixtures but if they, they really focus on, on that energy um, they should give Ireland certainly a good game You mentioned the Argentina game there that was on in Genoa in November I watched that game in the last couple of days did that kind of sum up Italy's national side at large lots of chances lots of possession but just not quite accurate enough in putting away teams and that is what is still costing them after all of these years Yeah I suppose I mean since since they, they, they came into the, the Six Nations in 2000 it's been basically the same thing that has been said that uh, they have a strong pack and uh, just lacking the the number 10 figure um, once Diego Dominguez went now I think that they found a very good out half in Haimona he spent three years here in Italy and he I think he's he's like he's a very calming presence I mean he's only 20 he's 28 and he has a you know relatively good good rugby experience although maybe not at international level but definitely in the games that he he played I think he showed a real maturity and calmness, uh, especially for his first few games. So I think that they have a real good player that 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 can bring st- um, some sort of stability to, to their to their play. Joe Schmidt's actually name checked Haimona. Now his kicking success ratio is only thirty three percent, but I guess as as an out half yourself, you're looking beyond those statistics. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at uh, at other out halves that they have have tried before, I mean, Okera, Ramiro Pez, th- those sort of players, they were talented players, but but I think in, in comparison to Haimona, he's a big guy. I mean, he's a hundred over, you know, he's one hundred and ten kilos or possibly over, and can play in the centre. Has played there with with uh, Zebre. I think he just brings a calming effect to to other players around him. He doesn't seem to get phased by anything, um, and certainly I think he's a key man for them. Um, yes, that that stat of his kicking isn't isn't the most positive, but uh, you look at the the Samoa game; he kicked fantastically well. So I think that's also 
to remember that was his first few games um, for Italy. Um, so I think he will grow on that. I think the first most important thing is to get his his the majority of his job right and his, his goal kicking. Uh, obviously let him down but in terms of the other aspects his his decision making his uh, decisions to attack the line to to take gaps himself to put other players into space was was actually excellent and and just as i said the calming effect was uh, really something that i hadn't seen from a from a 10 for for a little while as someone who lives plays and coaches there why have Italy always struggled to produce a good number 10 even their best ever dominguez was actually argentine argentinian yeah yeah, um, well, I've been here for two and a half years and I'm still trying to uh, figure out that same question. I mean, the fact of the matter of the matter is that Italy are producing very good players. I mean, all you have to do is look at the, I mean, even the four new players that they've they've put into the team are, are very young guys. I mean, three of them are, are under 23. So, uh, I mean, they are producing good players. Campagnato is another good player. In terms of the the 10 issue, I think it's it's, for me, just Italy need to focus really on on securing some good talent and really putting them through their, their uh, basically just educating them more in terms of in terms of a half. Um, I've certainly noticed here. Um, there's also just the the mentality thing of of, of different styles of play that 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 uh, mm. the Italians look at. Um, so said, that's why I think Haimona is, is is completely different to any other 10 that they've had. Albeit he's not 100% Italian, but um, um, I certainly have seen from coaching the last last couple of years that, that there are definitely 10s coming through. And, and I'm currently playing against some of those guys who are in academy systems and, you know, they're very, very good players. It's just, as you, you, you indicated, it's just trying to get those crucial moments correct that for me that just comes from further education in the, in the game what about um, the italian style you've already alluded to it they're still very much forward orientated are they still as good uh, at that as they ever has been because you know you look at their pack and it, it's relatively old now i mean castro giovanni and parisa still very much the go-to guys yeah i mean you, you look at the, the the out of the pack you've got four guys who are over 100 caps it's it it does worry me for the game in particular against Ireland. I mean, you've got a, a huge uh, conveyor belt of young guys coming through through the provinces and then through the national system, and then you, you actually look at the 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 selection in particular. I'm I'm looking at the say the back back five, and it and it is uh, it is an old back row. I mean, you've got fantastic players. I think Zani and Parise would get into any world team. I think they're just fantastic players. But um, as you said, it, it, for me, that would be a worry just for the duration of the Six Nations leading into a World Cup is that it's, it's, a, it's a lot of mileage on the legs for them. So um, it's definitely something uh, I don't know the, the, what, what Brunel's uh, strategy will be maybe for, for the World Cup, but it's something that will definitely need to, to be looked at because it's, um, it, it would be a bit of a worry. It's early in the week and I suppose Joe Schmidt had a good look at his options during the weekend with the Wolfhounds game and all that we're still not sure exactly what starting 15 he will go with but uh, no matter what 15 it is despite the fact that it's Rome on the first day of the Six Nations which is traditionally when Italy are at their strongest uh, would you fancy an Ireland win? Um, well as I said it'll be a very difficult game anytime Ireland has played Italy uh, like away from home it tends to be a difficult game there's no doubt about it as you said first first, first game is, is usually the I won't say the easiest to get up, get up to to be stimulated for, but it's it's certainly in the a, a big advantage for for the Italians as well. Been at home, there's absolutely no reason why Ireland can't win. Um, they displayed in the November series just everything that sums up, I think, the coaching of Joe Schmidt. I was privileged enough to have a year of coaching uh, of playing under him for a year. And the attention to detail is is quite incredible, and I think you everyone would have seen that. So if they just carry on that um, that momentum and that confidence, there's absolutely no reason why they, 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 they can't win. Looking outside of this game itself, what about rugby in Italy? I mean, the entrance of Treviso and the various other teams, uh, now Zebra is supposed to carry the mantle, but we would have seen uh, Aroni before, into the Pro 12 was supposed to improve the whole <clears> thing. Now, we've seen them struggle in the league, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Italian rugby hasn't benefited from these teams being in the Pro 12. Has it benefited from what you've seen? I mean, 
are, are the academies strengthening due to the, the, the money coming in from the Pro 12, the fact that, you know, good teams are now in Italy on a regular basis, as in, you know, the likes of Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht, Ospreys, you know, Glasgow, all these teams. Is there an overall benefit to Italian rugby from what you've seen so far in these very early days? Because they're not actually involved that long. No, um I mean, the, the, the system to it, here in Italy, I mean, is completely different to Ireland. The, 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 one, the one sort of negative thing I have been, been saying to other people here in Italy and maybe my, my friends back home is that the, the problem with um, the, the professional teams is that there's no seconds team or there's no, they don't go, if, if not selected, there's no seconds team to play for or there's no club team. It's either you're in the match day squad and that's it or you have a rest. Whereas in, in Ireland, at least, unless you're arrested for a game, if, if you're a young kid coming through, um, at least when I was trying to certainly push through at Leinster, if, if, if you didn't get selected for whatever game, you at least had the British and Irish Cup, you had interprovincial games with the second, second team, or you just played with your club, which was a very good level. So I think that that's also can be related to the out-half issue, is that some of these some of these players aren't maybe just getting enough education in the game, therefore not getting enough uh, game time, therefore not getting enough experience. Um, certainly, as I said, the talent is there. Um, there certainly is some fantastic players. And, and as I said, from I, uh, coaching under under 18 and under 16 teams, there are very, very talented players. It's just trying to get that um, balance right of those 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 players playing. Um, obviously, it's a huge disappointment to see Treviso and, and Zebre at the bottom of the table. But uh, Treviso lost a huge amount of players uh, over the last last year. Zebre are relatively new, so um, and a lot of players, senior players from the Italian team, have moved abroad. Uh, you think of Luke McLean, uh, Giraldini have all moved away. So. That, that that in itself can be a positive thing for younger players to come through, but um, as I said, it, it's just about getting getting players playing and more experience, and that's maybe some a little thing that the Italian Federation are falling short of is that some of those players don't don't play if not selected. And what about yourself, Ian? Playing with Viadana now at a very high level, are you enjoying? I suppose what you might call a second chance at rugby. Yeah. Um, any any time I've spoken to. Any interview or anything, I have to thank usually my brother because he he um, found the, these uh, rugby goggles in which enable me to to, to play again. Um, for some people, they might find that very uh, strange to, to hear or to see what what they look like. But yeah, it's it's um, I, I missed the game. I didn't play for thirty three months, um, and uh, it's just it's a good feeling to be back. I'm I'm over here playing professionally. Um, and um, no, things are things are going very very well. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. Is to come back to Ireland an aim, or are you kind of happy doing what you're doing? And your your focus is just kind of on the immediacy of playing game by game for Viadana. Yeah, um, obviously uh, players have long term and short term objectives now. Um, initially, it, it, at the minute. Uh, Sitting here doing this interview, uh, the, the sun is shining, and I'm hearing that the weather is pretty miserable at home. So uh, um, when I hear about things, I'm pretty happy to stay where I am for the time being. So this is the rewind on News Talk, and that was former Leinster out half Ian McKinley, who's now based in Italy. He talked to us about Saturday's Six Nations opener in Rome. Still to come, the 42.ie's Murray Kinsler. But first, let's take a tour of the other home nations ahead of the big kickoff. It all starts on Friday night at the Millennium Stadium when Wales take on England. Here's Wales captain, Sam Warburton. It could be the best fixture, the worst fixture. I think if we win, um, it'll be fantastic for, for us. You know, the team will be on a high, so will all the fans. If we lose, then we've got three away games uh, and we're one game down already. So um, I think that's why there is quite a bit of pressure on that game to win. You know, there is, but um, I think you know, with the Welsh team in particular, when the pressure's piled on us, you know, I think a lot of the guys you can rely on to, to come out and give us a good performance. So um, we all put the pressure on ourselves. We know we've got to win our home games. There's only two this year, so um, very key that we win that first one. Owen Farrell is out injured along with centre Brad Barrett and locks Jeff Parling and Courtney Laws. Here's England coach Stuart Lancaster, particularly on his out-half situation. You know, it's a different dynamic because Owen did cover 10 and 12 and that does make, it, that does make a, a change. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, these guys, you know, they've got all to play for now and, uh, you know, 
perhaps it was uh, my crystal ball that I picked four flags in the first place <laughs> predicting something was going to happen. It is a World Cup year, so one wonders how much thought the coaches are giving to this tournament as compared to the World Cup or the other way around. Here is Wales coach Warren Gatland. I think all of us have got the, the World Cup in the back of our minds, but you know, let's, uh, you know, this is the tournament where the... They, they take points. You know, we, all, we all talk about the autumn and, and wanting to do well in the autumn, but there's no points at stake at the autumn, and it's an opportunity for us to try a few things and you know, change the squad a little bit. But this is this is in to- uh, the tournament that counts, and like I said, it's about it's about winning and trying to get your hands on the trophy at the end of it. But you know, having talked to a few people um, this this morning, that you know, we're all conscious and aware that you know this is a, a big year, and you know, particularly with the World Cup only a few months away. Scotland start on Saturday evening against France in Paris. Vern Cotter is now on board as the Scots look to put some disappointing years behind them. They've had a pretty good start under the ex-Claremont Supremo. Out half Greg Greg Laidlaw says their attitude has improved. Consistency, we've probably struggled for that over the years. Uh, No no Scotland team's really had that. Um, So that's up to us now as as a player group and we spoke about that. Uh, that's, That's something we... We're true, really working hard on. Uh, if, you know, if you start to, to get to that, then you become a, a hard, a, obviously a, hard, a, hard, a lot harder team to beat. So that's the view from England, Wales, Scotland, and of course Ireland and Italy. We'll talk more about France throughout the tournament. Uh, Murray Kinsler, rugby correspondent of the Forty Two IE. It's a very obvious thing to say, but it's the most exciting time of the year, I think, for a rugby fan. But what do you think? Absolutely, it's my, it's definitely my favorite time of the year. Um, I used to love going to these matches when I was a little bit younger, and now it's really exciting time to be working, uh, especially considering it's going to be such a competitive championship. Uh, it seems to get better every year, and, and there's there's four real contenders again this year. So really exciting, fans, media, and players. They just love this time of year as well. So yeah, let let's get stuck into it. We'll talk more about the other teams, but we will start with Ireland, who open up against Rome next Saturday. As a fan, maybe it's just me, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure how to feel about this Six Nations, because the big thing really is the Rugby World Cup. So you don't want to do so well that you feel maybe, you know, we've peaked too soon a la 2007, but you don't want the confidence to be too low either. It's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange kind of mindset, especially for the for the Irish squad themselves and, and Joe Schmidt. I mean, it's it's obviously going to be in the back of everyone's head. It's a World Cup and, and it only comes around every four years. It's there and, and you, you can't ignore that. But at the same time, you have to be short-term, especially when you're playing and when you're preparing for a match. Like for the Irish management, it's it's just about ensuring that the players are focused on that Italy match. And I think that has been the case. They've been, you know, all, all their kind of analysis and, and preparation has been built towards beating Italy and, and not just taking that for granted. It, you know, it's the kind of match where you might have said, in the past, yeah, yeah, that's definitely a win there for us. But you, you just can't approach it with that mindset, especially under Schmidt, who just demands kind of perfection or, or near perfection every time they play. It's, it's hovering there in the background. The players know it, the coaches know it. But I think they'll, I think they'll be, they'll be mentally strong enough to actually focus in on each game. As you say, a Six Nations kind of success or, or a really strong championship, even if they don't win it, that just builds confidence heading into the, the summer and those warm up matches, and then the World Cup. We've just had a chat with Ian McKinley, who's the former Leinster out-half, now based in Italy. And he pretty much said that Italy are kind of the same as they ever were, but they have a more solid player at 10 in the shape of Kelly Haimona. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen too much of Kelly Haimona just there in, in the November tests. And I wasn't totally convinced, to be honest. And I still think that is the that is the one position where they, they just haven't had a, a really, really strong player for for years now, for for the for the entire time they've been in the championship, really. So there is a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He's he's a converted Kiwi, and he was kind of knocking around with Calvisano down in in the kind of lower uh, Italian league for for a while. So it's it's a big step up for him. He did play well in November. I have to say that I agree with Ian. Ian definitely there. So pressure on his shoulders, and Italy definitely need need that kind of direction at out half. They have good players elsewhere. You look at Campagnaro in the centre, and if he can get good quality ball from that pack, who are good in the set piece. Then, then Italy can do some damage. I just don't see it happening for them again this year. I mean, for all the ambition uh, Jacques Brunel has brought in there and tried to make them play with offloads and a high tempo. I mean, they had five losses again last year and I just don't see them pushing on beyond that. Even at the Six Nations launch there last week, uh, Sergio Parise, Parise himself was saying, we don't know where we are. We're, we're waiting to see against Ireland. So, I mean, that doesn't fill you with confidence. So, so hopefully Ireland can start with a strong win there. It all opens up on Friday night in Cardiff, Wales against England. That game has the potential to be something different or something yeah, special, I, mean, I should say. 
Yeah, it's a huge rivalry, although Warren Gatlin and Sam Warburton last week, they were going out of their way not to kind of incite the hatred or the, the rivalry any more than, than it already is. Um, it, it's a great fixture. and it, I mean, looking back to two years ago there in Cardiff, Wales had that, that huge win against England that really uh, kind of drove them onto the championship. So England know, know how difficult a fixture this is, and it's going to be a full house in Millennium Stadium. It's a brilliant fixture to get started. It's a really interesting season for Wales. You know, they, they come in with a bit of confidence from their November um, but but I mean disappointed about last year's Six Nations and and maybe we're looking at a little bit of a development of style maybe from them. I mean Gallon's become synonymous with this kind of rush defence and playing around the corner from touchline to touchline, uh, quite a quite a readable style of play maybe. And Joe Schmidt certainly did that to Wales last year, so maybe a development of style there and moving beyond those kind of pillar strengths that they have and, and just maybe looking to explore a bit more with ball in hand. So really interesting to watch watch them hopefully. Well, not for Ireland's case, but hopefully be a bit resurgent uh, for, for this championship. Are we uncertain as to where England are at, given the amount of injuries they've had and the amount of changes that Stuart Lancaster has made throughout his time in charge? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, the, the injuries to really key guys, like Courtney Laws and Tuolagi, Jeff Parding, someone who runs the line out for them, and, and that set piece has been a huge strength for England under Lancaster, something that they've really relied on. Then, like, Tuolagi is just... He's just a special player with ball in hand. He's a, a gain line merchant, someone who just gets it over onto the front foot consistently. So they're they're really damaging injuries for them. Four, they had four wins last year. So I mean, they're a really strong side, and despite the losses in November, you know they're competing against the the, the, the best in the world. So there is maybe depth in that squad that other other countries would be kind of envious of. Um, and I think it's a, it's interesting to see George Ford now at ten. Obviously, Farrell's injured, but. I probably would have liked to have seen them go with Ford at out half because he's a bit more of a rounded player than Farrell. Uh, you know, he he can do the he can do the tactical kicking and he can direct play around, but he also has a, a really kind of sharp eye for a break and a lovely passing game, really kind of varied passing game, short and long. So he definitely adds a bit to their attack, which is where they have maybe been lacking. They a little bit like Wales again; they're a bit bit, a bit too easy to read and defend against when you when when you are well organised in defence. So. Four to ten is big for them. Yeah, I don't think we know exactly where they stand, but we'll get a good idea on Friday anyway. Scotland go to Paris to take on France. Um, going back to that Six Nations launch, and Greg Laidlaw told our own Dave McIntyre that they're more consistent, or they're certainly looking for more consistency uh, under Vern Cotter. What has he brought so far that you've seen? Yeah, it was it was really interesting actually uh, in the press conference with Vern Cotter uh, there last week in London. He's just so uh, stony-faced and just direct to the point. Back in France, they used to call him Le Yeux de Glace, which is, you know, icy eyes or a guy who just doesn't show much emotion on his face. And, and you can certainly see that in press conferences. And apparently that's what he's he wearing like. that Under Armour baseball cap that he always used to wear when they showed shots of him in the stand <laughs> when he was Claremont coach. No, no, he took that off. He was he was bald headed for this one, so maybe got a little bit more of a glimpse into him there. But but he is a stern guy. He's a disciplinarian, and I think that approach does work with players. You know, it just kind of has that mentality of going to work and and being really professional about everything you do. There's no messing around it, and then I suppose that does help with kind of achieving consistency. You know, um, he is also he is also it has to be said a kind of prog- progressive coach. I mean, Clermont played some superb rugby under him. Uh, even after Joe Schmidt had left and he is kind of trying to push Scotland a little bit to not quite take risks but definitely play uh, play when they see an opportunity to play with ball in hand and they have those players they have guys like Finn Russell and Matt Scott Stuart Hogg they have that big Glasgow Warriors contingent who play under Gregor Townsend with a similar mentality and I actually think that that definitely suits the Scottish rugby player I asked Greg Laidlaw about that and he said yeah look we actually we like to offload the ball and I think we thrive in those kind of unstructured situations. I guess that kind of points to maybe the question marks over the Scottish pack and, and how they need to be able to compete consistently. We spoke about that consistency right at the start of this kind of this section of our chat and, and that's what they need to get up front and, and Vern Cotter is a, a specialist w- with the forwards so yeah, he's got to make an impact there and, and guys have got to step up. So I think we'll see them try and play with, with a bit of... Um, offloading and, and risks and maybe running from deep a little bit but they've got to match that to, to a really strong set piece if they want to compete better than last season and finally France so much talent but they haven't done much in the last couple of years under Philippe Saint-André no his, his winning record certainly not the most impressive and despite maybe starting strongly last year they, they kind of petered out and 
weren't really as competitive as as it had first as it had first seemed. So I think the the World Cup does focus Philippe San Andre's mind, and I think they've got a little bit of consistency in, in in selection over the last while. He's kept some uh, like a large majority of the November Test players, and he brought them back in. Also, the the real key with them is that they found an out half in Camille Lopez, who looks to be the answer to all those questions about that position for them over the last number of years. You know, he's 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 a really intelligent and, and an informed player as well. He's really dominating for Clermont and stepping up to the Champions Cup. He's been a guy they've wanted to get in there for a number of years. He picked up a bad knee injury last year when he was at Perpignan, so they couldn't do that. Um, he's running the game for them well now. He has that kind of flair and that instinct for for spotting a gap and breaking and he's got a lovely short kicking game, the chips in behind and the, the crossfield kicks that on a kind of low trajectory. So look out for a lot of that from France. Inside him, then you're probably going to see Rory Cockle, I think, in, in the first match. Uh, another kind of solid player who who can attack well as well and has a good kicking game. So they've always they've always had kind of shaky halfbacks and it looks like they're kind of solving that problem now. So that's huge for them. And as I said, I think the World Cup does focus their mind and I think we're going to certainly see a bit more consistency from them. We saw a bit more um, structure in their play in November when they beat Fiji and Australia. They obviously lost Argentina, which is disappointing, but their performance levels weren't particularly poor in that game. So I asked uh, Sant'Andre last week, you know, if this kind of has been a conscious shift towards playing a more structured game in defence and attack. And I think he actually took a little bit of offence to it. He kind of said... You know, we've still got French flair. We can still run the ball from anywhere. And that certainly still rings true. They've got a lot of game breakers. Guys like Fafana who can cut you apart uh, if, if you've got a kind of loose kick or any sort of dog leg in your, in your defence. They're really, really, really dangerous in those positions. So I think they're starting to match that with a bit more structure. And that's certainly a good combination for them. I think they're going to be a consistent force and real contenders in this championship. Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie. Thanks for joining us on the Rewind podcast. It is, for rugby supporters, the most wonderful time of the year. Absolutely. Enjoy it. So that's it for today's Rewind. I did forget one thing. Uh, There was a Super Bowl on last night as uh, New England Patriots turned things around against Seattle Seahawks. You'll get full analysis of that match and off the ball this week. Plus, if you're listening to this on Monday, Pat Nevin will review the weekend's Premier League and there's plenty of rugby this week on the show. Meanwhile, on Team 33 this week, myself and the lads are looking at the enigma that is Duncan Ferguson in depth and also talking about football board games. Uh, Plus there's winners and losers and all the usual things we also have. Um, So it just seems we've never really grown up when it comes to the football games. Anyway, I leave you now with the Seattle sound of grunge as the city reacts to the pain of defeat. Come on.